You're listening to Metal Matters, the official weekly Gimme Metal podcast. Me and Randy are back for a classic records episode. If you enjoyed this episode, I urge you to go back and listen to the interview I did with Mike Nine, the vocalist for I Hate God. And uh, it adds like a, another dimension to what we're about to talk about with this record. And so if you read the caption, the title of this episode is Classic Records, I Hate God, Take is Needed for Pain, which is like one of my favorite album titles. All, all their albums are, have great titles. Yeah, they and, do. And their songs as well. One of my favorites is uh, Confederacy of Ruined Lives. That's another good one. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's yeah. great. They can, they can write titles, that's for sure. <laughs> this is their second album, released November 22nd, 1993. Recorded at Studio 13 in New Orleans, Louisiana. Engineer Robinson Mills. And... Uh, for this record, uh, the personnel were Mike Williams on vocals, Brian Patton on guitar, Jimmy Bauer also on guitar, Mark Schultz on bass, and the late great Joey Lacaz on drums. Yeah, yep. That's a big loss in the uh, world of heavy music, man. When Joey died. Yeah. A quick aside too is uh, you know Joey was another. Uh, main contributor to the band Clearlight, which was like a side project that was happening in the late 90s. Do you ever check them out? Oh, dude. Fuck yeah, man. I, I was lucky. To see, I seen Clearlight three times. Um, I seen them once in Boston. Uh, they were just kind of coming through. They weren't, they weren't really touring with anybody. Uh, they were selling. I think it's the last time I bought an actual demo tape. Uh, tape. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I saw them, they were on a tour, maybe the early 2000s, it was Clutch, COC, Mr. Clear, uh, Crew of Clear Light, and uh, Spirit Caravan, one of Wino's projects. And uh, man, Clear Light was fucking amazing all three times. And, you know, it just speaks to the, uh, the creativity level and musicianship of uh, Joey and Jimmy were in, in Clear Light together. And uh, that band was just phenomenal man they were like they were like the Allman Brothers band <laughs> you know like it was, I mean, some people probably listen to I Hate God and it sounds like it might be kind of simplistic music but those guys could could play dude. those guys were real deal players for sure oh yeah for sure they are man and, and I remember that show at the it was at the Middle East I think the Clear Light show upstairs yeah, yeah. and and I kind of like I kind of I don't know. I was like on the fence about going to that show because I was like, oh, I don't know if this is something I'd be into or whatever. And like, I totally missed that show and like, I never saw Clearlight. Now I'm now I love them. I think they're great, you know. And yeah, the the one album they did, I think on TP Records, you know, it's probably out of print now or whatever. But uh, that album is really great, man. It's awesome. You know, and with Joey passing, that that's it. I mean. These guys are going to be around forever, man. I feel like I feel like every member, you know, Mike Williams, Jimmy Bauer, those guys are eternal. You know, they're always going to be out there on the road. They're always going to be out making records, doing side projects, playing on, you know, playing with just different configurations of the same people. It seems like, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, they have so many projects with you know 
to share members with each other and stuff. Um, yeah, those guys are, you know, the term lifer, obviously. Those guys are, are lifers for this stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, Joey, there was a, I was listening to an interview with Jimmy talking about Joey's passing. And, like, you know, he described him as, like, his, he said Joey had his own groove. And, if you know, if you're a fan of I Hate God, you've heard Joey play drums, man. He, he does, you know. You, you could just, it's very unorthodox style. Um, I guess it's, you know, if you're compared to something like Bonham or uh, Bill Ward, you know, kind of behind the beat. Um, but Joey just had his own thing going on, man. He's, he's very unique. Yeah, I remember talking with Mike about that on, um, not necessarily on uh, the, the interview we did, but somewhere out in the world about Joey and... Um, the kind of uh, voodoo aspect of the band came from him. Like he used to, you know, apparently, according to Mike, the, a lot of his drumming and stuff he would do with these like non-rock formats, and that just kind of contributed to his like his very unique style. You know. Yeah, that's cool. For everything I've heard about Joey, he used to do a lot of like cool, like you know, like really weird shit, like voodoo, and uh, you know, it was really into the the New Orleans like blues music scene and uh, all kinds of weird writings. And I think he did a lot of uh, like, you know, noise music too. Like I think he just used to make tape, like noise tapes all the time. He just like give them away to people at shows and shit. He was a pretty interesting guy for sure. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm glad that I hate God continued though. I mean, it's, you know, it's a huge loss, but um, you know, it's funny. Like I think about I hate God in the same way that I think about like you know you you reference the Allman Brothers, but they're like they're like an amalgamation of like Allman Brothers, you know, Sabbath, you know, ACDC. Like they they right. kind of reference like that same vibe. Like you know, you we did that Dead Guy record, Fixation on a Coworker, which is a phenomenal record. But a lot of these like hardcore type dudes, they'll make like one record and then they that's it. You don't, you don't, they all become like, uh, graphic designers or, uh, you know, whatever, you know what I'm trying to say? And, um, bands, bands like I hate God, like this is like, if they're not doing this, they're, they're going to, they're going to be dead or in jail or like, you know, working like at a, at a, you know, a, um, like a, like a landscaper or something like that, you know? And. Yeah. It's like. Something you don't want to do when you live in New Orleans is be a landscaper. It's probably a pretty hot job. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, and and and, the, and just the fact that each each of these guys is so prolific, and the band just keeps going. You know, and and you know you, they're just like unstoppable. And I've always had like a ton of respect for I Hate God. You know, and I mean I can go on and on about my worship of the band, and specifically, uh, you know, Mike Nine's writing and all that kind of stuff, his lyrics. Uh, right. You know, just. That's that's like um, you know some of the some of my favorite writing lyric writing is is his because it's it's not specifically about anything but it just sets up this atmosphere and has like um it manifests it's like real dark you know energy in it and that's that's kind of like what drew me to the band I mean you can't understand a fucking word the guy's saying really but if you actually sit down and read you know read the lyrics right. there's like there's like images that just come up. Like for example, the band Lick Golden Sky. Like that's that that name of that band. If any of you guys ever heard of that band, it's uh, that's out oh, of yeah. a I Hate God lyric. Lick Golden Sky. You know. Right. But what the fuck does that even um, mean? But it conjures up an image. <laughs> you know. 
Well, I'm glad you brought up the lyrics. I mean, as much as I, I absolutely love the, the, all the music, I hate God. Mike's uh, writings or lyrics, whatever you want to call them, uh, to me, like, really put it over the top, man. Uh, and also a huge, huge influence on myself. Yeah. Um, as a as a lyric writer, you know, that's I've always kind of struggled with that in the beginning. When I started doing bands, and, like, I was a singer, or, you know, trying to think of lyrics or topics. I didn't want to write about, like, political shit or, you know. So as time went on, I feel like I got a little bit better. But, you know, I, I owe a big thanks to Mike Nine. Just, even though I'm, I don't come close to him in that department, like, that was an inspiration. Uh, you know, the interview you did with him, I listened to, and I, I had it in my head, and he ended up saying it, man. It's like lyrical collage. Yeah. You know, it's like collage with words instead of pictures and uh if you read it together it doesn't make any fucking sense um to your average person but like you know you just kind of read those words you make them your own and they just become like something very special to a lot of people man and they're, they're a huge influence on me his writings and his uh, lyrics are a huge influence on me man yeah totally you know Let's just run down some of the details here. Uh, the program length is 49 minutes and 34 seconds, and that's actually a little bit the beginning, let's say, of the longer LP. You know, that's like in the early days yeah. when records started being more than like 40 minutes long, like full-length records. You know, right? We got side one is blank. Side, uh, side one. Let me start that again. Side one kicks off. Side one kicks off with blank sister fucker part one. That song needed two parts. Absolutely. You could use the third. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Shoplift <laughs> and uh, the controversial white N word. And uh, I'll spare, spare you guys uh, what the original title of that song was. And now it's uh, officially they changed that to white neighbor. Yeah. $30 bag, Disturbance. Side two kicks off with Take as Needed for Pain. Sister Fucker, part two. Crimes Against Skin. Kill Your Boss. Who Gave Her the Roses. And finally, Laugh It Off. And then there was a reissue that came out several years ago. And um, that's a collection of uh, like some of their... their there's seven inches uh, that Bovine put out. Um, there's like the splits they did with 13, which, um, yep. you know, just a quick aside about that. Uh, Alicia Morgan of 13 uh, was formed, you know, she used to be with, uh, with Mike Williams. They were, they were a couple. And uh, one of my favorite uh, lack of almost everything. I think that was a demo. That's also on there too. That's, that's like the best, the best <laughs> fucking title ever, man. Well, yeah, going back real quick to go back to the lyrical aspect and the writings and stuff. Um, I always thought maybe some of the things when I, when I read Mike's writings and the, the lyrics, I thought of Charles Bukowski. Yeah. Um, and I always wondered are those guys into Bukowski and stuff like that. And uh, I believe Lack of Almost Everything was a, a title of a Bukowski poem in like the 60s. That sounds about right. So, that, yeah, you yeah, know, I, that, you know, I'm that answers that question. I'm surprised I didn't pick up on that because I, I read a lot of Bukowski. You know, well then there's also the live record, uh, Ten Years of Abuse. Yeah, he yeah, got live record, and uh, before one of the songs, 
I believe that song, they shout out Charles Bukowski. So mm. it really confirmed to me that, oh yeah, probably they probably do uh, read a little bit of that. So it made sense to me, you know? Um, you know, it's cool too, man. Like all the, all their full lengths up until the last one, the self-titled one, were all on Century Media, which was, I mean, not really a major label, but like a big label, you know, and all those bonus tracks that you just talked about were all on these real small, more like punk labels, man, like Bovine, Slap a Ham, Action Records. Um, I always thought that was really cool, man, that, you know, they put out these records on Century Media, which is kind of a big label, but then they always, they're really a punk band at heart, in my opinion, you know? Yeah, well, that that's actually a really good uh, point because a lot of people, like when, you know, you'd say I Hate God in this, you know, they, they, they were a fairly popular band. I mean, they draw a lot of people, uh, it seems like maybe like maybe six or seven years ago, there was like this weird resurgence, like this renaissance. And suddenly like all these like people that I normally wouldn't see at their shows started coming out to see them. And I'm talking about just my experiences in New York. You know what I mean? Like prior yeah. to this like period of time, it would be just like these like scumbag type dudes, you know, like, <laughs> you know what I'm like saying? Me like you. me and you would go and like, you know, it, it would be cool. You know, it'd be, people that you're used to seeing you know and then out of nowhere um more people started coming out and that's great for them you know so uh they're they're definitely in this like wave of uh like a second or third chapter of their career which i think is awesome you know but going back to what i was saying you know they have a lot of people throw around that term oh yeah i hate god they're a sludge metal band right which is a term i fucking hate you know that's like right lazy that's like grunge or something like that you know sludge metal yeah it's fucking ridiculous you know what i mean i my in my opinion my thing with them is like they're uh i hear more stuff like flipper or like definitely black flag obviously sabbath obviously the obsessed and like saint vitus and like right whatever like southern blues roots that they have so it's it really is this like aggregate of all these things but what i really what really grabbed me was just how like chaotic and noisy this stuff sounded you know and i i always thought it was like you know that that kind of thing is what grabbed me first about the band and and uh and the metal part was like almost like downplayed you know yeah, it's kind of an afterthought, man. Uh, I went, uh, I did a little experiment this week. You know, uh, I, well, I listened to Take His Knee of a Pain a lot this week, but, you know, that's no different than any other week probably in my life. <laughs> I listen to I Hate God a lot, but I have, I don't go back to the first album probably as much as I should. So I went back and, and listened uh, to the first album and then listened to Take His Knee right after it, you know, being the second album. And they, those two albums, I think, are vastly different or as different as any of their other albums compared to the previous ones are. You know, that one's very raw and very primal, very, you know, where, like, everything moving on still is that all those things do, but maybe a little more cleaned up. You know, uh, it's an interesting comparison. I don't know when the last time you listened to those records, like, kind of back-to-back. Probably not for a while back-to-back, but when I remember, I remember when I got those two records, it's, like, was all I listened to for, like, a really long time because I was so... I never heard anything quite like that. Like I said, you know, I was into Sabbath. I was into, you know, Flipper and Flag, you know, the Obsessed, right. like that kind of stuff. But this was like, just like some wild, 
chaos and you know the whole thing came together then then seeing them live it was you know like it's gg allen thing like he felt like you were sort of in danger in those early days i know now it's a little different i mean we're all older you know it's it's you know but back in like the 90s like they were i felt that there were times where i felt like in danger like mike would like throw a bottle break a bottle or like cut me or something you know what i mean and and it, it, you know, it's it's many. I've played you too, probably as well. Have played a lot. I played a lot of shows with I Hate God over the years, but it was only it's only been like maybe the last five years since I actually started talking to those guys because I was always thinking, you know, I I didn't know where they were coming from. You know, I was like I was heard right. so many stories about the band, like they're notorious, you know, and infamous. And you know we would do these gigs, and I'd be like, "Oh man, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk to these guys. Like they're, they're like, you know, who knows what the fuck kind of evil shit they're getting into. You know what I mean? And and uh, but then I don't know. Like if, eventually, I just started. You know, I think you know Mike and I start. Actually, Mike is and Gary. They're they're one of the newer, new, well, newer, but <laughs> not an original member. Let's say. Um, yeah, the basis. Yeah, we started like, you know hanging out a little bit and talking and talking about music and books and all this other stuff. And I started realizing that, you know, this, these guys are like, like really cool dudes. And, uh, but yeah, but they were, they were terrifying in the early days. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I got a, a quick story. Uh, the first time I seen them was, uh, it was the summer of 1993. So it was right before this record came out or a few months before this record came out. Cause this came out, would you say November, right? Yeah. November 93. Um, there was a small little club uh, in Eastern Connecticut called Studio 158. And it was a Sunday matinee show, which I got a feeling those guys probably didn't play a lot of matinee shows. You know, they seemed like maybe they'd be waking up around the time of matinees getting over. You know? Yeah. <laughs> probably. <laughs> uh, shake it off the previous night, you know. Uh, it was, I got dropped dead. And I can't remember the other band, but all those things you're saying about like kind of feeling like, you know, almost scared of your life or whatever. That, dude, it was that was the scarier show I think I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um I was standing towards the back of the club. I was a big fan of the first album. You know, I was I was stoked. Got there early, bought a shirt and stuff, and you didn't really see those guys around so much. And, you know, when they when they came in, man, like it, they looked like they had been to hell and back, you know, it's probably like three in the afternoon and they're probably like, what the fuck, man? But they leveled that place and the glass was flying and the bottles were breaking and I, a bottle smashed right above my head. <laughs> Mike threw a bottle about yeah. six inches from my head and that thing just exploded, man. I was like inches away from probably going to the hospital. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was a legit thing when people, you know, when we talk about it being scary to see them back in the day, you know, like I said, everyone's older and shit now. And, um, but dude, yeah, it was a terrifying experience. The last thing I ever would have did back in 1993 was try to approach those guys. Hell no. That's what I'm, <laughs> see, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, you're, you, you just, I, I was terrified of those guys. You know what I mean? And, um, um I'm going to reference that we, I, I, told this story before but these guys are part of it but the single greatest night of my life at a show was when i hate god and neurosis toured together in like 1997 and you were probably at that show at the middle east downstairs i think were you at that one i know turner was there 
I was not there, man. It's a fuck. It's a it's a source. Oh, you know, I've seen all those bands quite a few times, but I was not at that particular show, unfortunately. But I know the show you're talking about. Yeah, everyone was, I knew was there. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, you know, they were supporting through Neurosis was supporting through Silver and Blood, and um, it was the first time I saw Dead and Gone, another band that I love. That's from like the East Bay. They're uh, you know, like a dark punk band. You know. If you're into that sound, definitely check them out. They have a few records out on different labels. But it was one of, like, the most transcendent... I know that sound. I, I'm going to sound like a fucking jerk-off by saying this, but it's like, it really was this fucking transcendent, like, night of my life, man. Because I was going through some personal stuff, and, like, there was all this, you know, chaos going on in my life, and... and uh I had just moved into this house with these people and I was sleeping on the couch and all that. And then like we go to this show and um, like you said, everyone that you know was there. Everyone I knew was there too. It was like one of these things, like everyone just went to the show that was in, that was in the know that knew what was up with music. Everyone was there, you know? Yeah. And uh, I hate God were one of the most incredible, scary, chaotic things I've ever experienced in my life. And I remember Mike was just like, Mike loves break. He's back then at least. He used to love the broken glass everywhere. Blood. You know, oh, things, yeah. People were getting cut. He was cutting himself. There was like broken bottles. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, people in the crowd were going insane. And I'm like, man, this something, I feel like something might happen, you know, here, like a riot or something. I felt like it was going to break out, you know, like, <laughs> People were just getting like whipped up into this frenzy, man, and I was like, "Holy shit!" And um, then they they finished playing, and I was like, "Wow, that's like, oh yeah, Neurosis is playing next. Oh my damn, you know, like that's what a right. night, you know." And then Neurosis came out and just completely crushed as well, and that was like another that both bands that was the best I'd ever seen both of those bands play was that one night, man. And I remember like leaving the venue and it was like raining out and I was like, I, you know, just the whole thing was like really you know, like one of those evenings that you, you remember for the rest of your life because of just the feelings you had and, and the way you experienced it. It was like just something that I'm never going to forget, you know? Yeah, man. You talk about two lethal bands. I mean, you know, still to this day, but uh, around that time you're talking, you know, I, mean, I think it was. I don't know. I had God was probably torn around Dope Sick, the Dope Sick album, yeah. which is another amazing album. And through Silver and Blood is my favorite album. So I mean, what a what a show! And you know, Dead and Gone, dude, man, great band. We got you know my band got to play with them in the Midwest uh, and out in Missouri. I didn't know have any idea who they were. They headlined and totally blew me away. So you know, very what a, what a show, man. <laughs> you know what yeah. a show. Yeah, totally, man. Uh, once again, I got to shout out my friend Rachel in Boston because uh, she's involved in me even knowing who the hell these guys are. Um, I mean, I think, <laughs> I don't know how many episodes I've shouted her out. <laughs> it's just like she's involved, always in the middle of me finding out about great bands. But I remember we were, <laughs> we were hanging out at her place and uh, these like two like extreme noise guys, you know, were there. Like dudes who are like in, a, you know, like White House and, you know non and like all this stuff and uh yeah. it was like this tall guy with dreads and like this like 
like short guy with like uh like a crook you know a shaved head and like a goatee or something you know he definitely had a shaved head and he definitely had a goatee yeah yeah and they were talking about how they were going to a metal show that night but they were being sort of like funny about it you know what i mean they're like yeah we're going to a metal show tonight you know and i was like uh oh really but, you know, like, who are you going to go see? <laughs> it was like, and the guy had an I Hate God t-shirt on. and uh, But it wasn't I Hate God who they were going to see. It was like some useless band that I thought was fucking garbage. But, uh, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the I Hate the God, band? the I Hate God shirt piqued my fucking, you know, my interest. So I asked Rachel, I was like, who, you know, who's this band? Fucking I Hate God. She's like, oh, you got to check out like this record, man. Take is needed for pain. And I was like, oh, cool. So like I went out and I bought this record and it was, and then I got, then I got, you know, then I got into it. Like this, this is actually the first record I heard, even though it was their second one. Cause you know, they were both out at this point. And, um, yeah, I was like, man, this, this is like, I never quite heard anything like this before. And at the time I was thinking it referenced two of my favorite bands, you know, Black Flag and Black Sabbath. But then there was all this other stuff that, you know, went along with that, which I learned about when I saw them live. You know, like the Gigi Allen angle, you know? Right, right. Um, yeah, man, I got, the, I got the first album, uh, In the Name of Suffering, first, and I just bought it uh, on a whim, man. I had no idea who they were, you know? And I, I just looked at it, it looked cool. I bought the cassette. I put it put it in my car, and that was uh, you know we've been covering a lot of game changing albums for me <laughs> over the last bunch of episodes. But this was another one, man. I was just like like you just said, I'd never heard anything like it. Um, and arguably my two favorite bands are, of all time are Black Flag and Black Sabbath. And to me, I God just embodies like the best thing of both those bands, man. Like the the old punk kind of thing with like the older doom metal kind of thing, not sludge because that doesn't fucking exist. Um, but it just embodies like that shit perfectly. You know, I was thinking about this today, driving home from work about just how perfectly they capture the black flag and the black Sabbath thing. And it was like, fucking, I God might be my favorite band, man. Yeah. You know, yeah, they're, one, they're one of my <laughs> favorites. Definitely. Um, yeah. Like if I had to pick, man, they just embody like, the best of everything I like in music, you know? A few years ago, I was writing this piece for uh, Revolver uh, about Gigi Allen. It was like around his birthday. And I was like, oh, man, maybe I'll get some quotes from some other people out there I know that appreciate Gigi. So I hit up Mike. And uh, it turns out that I one of, one of the early I Hate God shows was supporting Gigi Allen. Can you imagine an opening for Gigi think- Allen? That's, and I'm like, wow, that's that makes perfect sense to me, you know. Perfect sense. I think I've seen a flyer for that show somewhere online. You know, I don't, I don't have one, but I think I've seen one over the years online or something. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's so gangster. I think, man, just being like, oh yeah, we played with Gigi Allen. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no shit, huh? Yeah. That's, that's a cool claim <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, so real quick, too, something else. Uh, when I listened to the interviews you did with Mike. Uh, you were telling a little bit of a story about how your I Hate God shirt got you know almost got you in a little bit of trouble. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I have 
two different examples of that, and I bet you that is a very common thread. So I really listen to this. Hit up me or Mike if you have any I Hate God, uh, you know, throwdown stories about wearing an I Hate God shirt or whatever. Um, you may or may not know this, Mike, but uh, I'm a little bit of a NASCAR fan. Yeah, I know that. Okay. Um, I was since I was a little kid, man. You know, my my, my father got me into it, and uh, I still to this day. I mean, I'm, I'm a NASCAR fan. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm your typical NASCAR fan, but I'm a NASCAR fan. Um, so one year, uh, me and my buddy Pete went down to uh, Daytona for the Daytona 500. Um, you know, 200,000 people, probably 200,000 people you don't want to be around, you know. Uh, you know the type. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, not thinking, you know, I wore an I Hate God shirt to the Daytona 500. And man, was I getting some bad looks by people. I'm like, what the fuck is going on, man? Like, every other per- guy I walked by the world, like, looking at me like he wants to kick my ass. I imagine they, they, they love realized, God. I, I remember the, the uh, people that go to NASCAR probably right. love God as opposed to hating God. They love it, yeah. They love fucking all the dickheads. God, Trump, you know, all those dicks. Um, so, I finally put two and two together. I'm wearing a fucking I Hate God shirt with, like, the shirt with Charles Manson with all the I Hate God tattoos. Mm-hmm. That's a good you know, one. So not, so, not, so not only does it say I Hate God, he's just a fucking Manson on it, you know, and these people are just probably like... Uh, and then, you know, nothing happened, man. I just fucking ignored everybody. But people are definitely upset by that. And, uh, my friend Pete, who I went to the race with, he was at a bar in Georgia. He lives down in Georgia. Not not long uh, after that, and he almost had to fight some guy at the bar <laughs> because you know what I got me, you know, like some fucking douchebag. Um, so I guarantee you, man, there's thousands of people who have like stories where they probably actually did have to fight people over a t-shirt. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, I wonder if that kind of thing still goes on, man. You know, like. I feel like back in the day, quote unquote, you, you were, you went out, you were more out on a limb than you are today, you know, but I don't know, maybe, maybe it's still the same. I don't, I can't really, I can't really get a feel for that these days, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, man, I'd like to think, you know, we've kind of moved past that, but I don't know, man. (laughs) Take, Take a look at the culture of this working country right now. I don't know. I don't know. You know, we might be okay, like where we are, but there's pockets of this country where I'm sure people get very upset by that. Yeah, you know, so I don't, I don't know. Fuck them, you know. So I asked Mike about uh, Studio 13, uh, the place they recorded, you know, and, and he uh, he had some insights onto the whole thing about the recording, and then also about Century Media, because you mentioned earlier that it's kind of unusual that. Uh, I hate God put out some stuff on Century Media, so I asked him about it. Oh, well, Studio 13 was uh, on the 13th floor of an abandoned apartment store, department store called Maison Blanche on the edge of the French Quarter. So it was just a, it was just a room, basically. And, um, you know, it was like Mike kept saying it was like it, it was a nice studio, but it had an unusual vibe. <laughs> that could mean anything i know <laughs> it's, i was trying to get a get a feel for what he meant by that but he kept saying it's like you know i had, a, had an unusual vibe 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. It, one of the you said he got off at on an elevator and just one of the it was on the thirteenth floor. So, you know, he just got off one night on some random floor, just started walking around, and everything was just the whole building was completely empty except for the studio. Like everything was like abandoned apparently. So it makes you wonder about how this guy set up shop in this building. You know. Yeah, no shit. And there was power running, obviously, if there was a studio there, right? And the elevator worked, so that's yeah. kind of odd, too. Exactly, you know. And, uh, you know, the, apparently the guy, Robinson Mills, who recorded, nice guy, but he was, like, very, uh, you know, kind of, like, in, overly enthusiastic, as uh, as Mike Nine put it. You know, he wasn't familiar with the kind of music they were doing. And, um, you know, just that's the result was this record, which I think, like, in 1993 or 92, in the early 90s, especially since there really wasn't a lot of this type of music being made. It probably is often that you would find a guy, like you'd have to go and record something and you'd work with someone who has no idea what the hell you're trying to do. You know, you probably run. Into oh that yeah. Too. We all been, we all been there. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not like today where there's like people who specialize in like extreme music and recording blast beats and stuff, you know? Well, it's funny too. Cause to, you know, like I listened to the record a ton this week and uh, I, I don't know, man, I wouldn't change it's funny that like the guy probably didn't have any clue what these guys are trying to do. And he's, he's working on like an abandoned fucking department store. And shit. Like to me, this record sounds perfect. It, I wouldn't change a fucking thing on this record. Sonically. I think it's perfect. It's crazy that the, they got such a great result under those circumstances, you know? Well, I mean, in a way it kind of sounds, I've, I've always thought this record kind of sounds like my war by black flag, like the production, you know? Like side I can hear two. that, sure. Yeah, it's just like this kind of like um, noise, you know, like this kind of throbbing, like low end kind of, it's a little bit unruly, the low end on the record, you know, and it's right. it just has like that same sort of thing, which, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure that's what kind of the vibe they were going for, you know. And um, so I asked him about Century Media because like you were, as you referenced earlier, they were... I got to be honest, I, I at the time I got into these bands, I never even heard of Century Media in the States. And I know now they're like this juggernaut. You know, they're one of the hugest metal labels in the world. But in the early 90s, they were doing mostly death and black metal. You know, there was a mostly, and mostly European bands for that matter. And they had a small right. roster of U.S. bands. And, you know, I Hate God, um, Strapping Young Lad. <laughs> and uh, only, only Living Witness was on uh, Century Media. Um, oh fuck, that's right. Yeah, but it was it was it was unusual because they would. I mean, they had like major European bands signed to the label, like Emperor. You know, bands that were you know massive. You know, in Europe, played playing all these big festivals and everything. But in the right. states, they didn't really have any like. Uh, you know, the, the bands I just, you know, Only Witness, I got great, you know, but, you know, they weren't, like, huge, you know what I mean? Touring and, you know, filling, fill, especially back then, filling, like, arenas or, you know, big venues or anything like that. No, not even close, no. Yeah, so apparently Mike hadn't heard of Century Media at the time either. <laughs> and he was like, he was, because uh, their first album, uh, In the Name of Suffering, uh, came out on a, on a label called Intellectual Convulsion. And that came out in like 1988. The original, the original release of that Did record. it? Re- oh, 
holy shit, dude, I didn't even know that. I yeah. thought the, I, so Century Media reissued it, I yeah. guess. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, so that came well, out on, that. on this obscure, like, French label, Intellectual Convulsion. Okay, I wonder wow. if you can even find copies of this anymore, you know, like, how what kind of pressings they had. Right, right. Who knows, man? Probably not. Yeah, so they... Wow, what? I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, for our, my usual complaint segment of our show, once again, once again, we're covering a record by a band where, go try to buy this record right now. The actual vinyl <laughs> of this, you mean? Or, or the CD uh, of Take As Needed. Like, I was looking around earlier today because I was, a couple of these records I used to have on vinyl and I don't have any more and I want to get them all again. Once again, man, it's like, all right, this shit's easier to get than some of the other stuff we've talked about. But some of the CDs and vinyl are out. Almost all the vinyl is out of print right now. Actually, it is. All the really? iPod vinyl is out of print. Some of the CDs you can get and get at a reasonable price. Um, but, I mean, come on. It's, this is fucking I Hate God. I mean, these labels, like, can we get this stuff so people can go buy it, please? Like, give me a fucking break. It's insane that any of their shit's out of print. I mean, I heard, you know, through the grapevine over the years that their deal, they were very unhappy with Century Media through the years. Yeah. Um, and that might have had to do a little bit with some of the stops and starts, you know, or, or downtime between records and stuff like that. But I mean, you know, even the last record's on House Core, you know, and you can get the CD, but the vinyl came out and like the shit's been out of print since like a month after the record's been out. Hmm. That came out in what, 2014? Yeah. 2013? It's been a while. I mean, repress the fucking record. It's insane you can't just go buy the last I Hate God record. It's insane to me. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. But it, it wasn't really okay. until after The Name of Suffering was out. Like, they, they, you know, Mike was like really into like the whole demo trading world, tape trading world, you know. And, uh, you know, they did a demo. And it cost uh, $10 an hour to make the record, to make this demo. And then that started making the rounds in the tape trading world and some fanzines uh, were doing like reviews. And then suddenly he was saying that after these reviews came out and, you know, maybe on also the, there might've been some buzz on the, uh, the French release of the record. They started getting uh, interest from all these different labels you know, and, uh, you know, Peaceville, Nuclear Blast, Relapse, and uh, some other, you know, other other things. And he's like, he still doesn't know why they decided to go with Century Media. <laughs> and, um, but I guess part, part of the deal was they were to re-release their first album in the name of Suffering, you know, and then they were to do Take His Needed as Pain, Take His Needed for Pain, you know. Right. And, uh, <laughs> Interesting. yeah, so, I mean, you know, you, you know, that's, it, it's a different time. Like I'm trying to think back to like the early nineties and, and like the fact that anyone at all, I mean, from my perspective, the fact that anyone at all would be interested in putting out a record I played on was, was like, or had already, that would already be been, been a sort of exceeding any, you know, hope that I might've had at the time, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely know. I feel exactly the same way. Um, yeah, the Century Media thing always seems weird. You know, another American band that had an album 
on Century Media in the early 90s uh, was Grief. Yes, from, that's uh, right. Yep. Massachusetts. Yeah. And they're kind of, con- you know, kind of contemporaries to uh, to a band like I a guy who doesn't have a whole lot of contemporaries. You know, maybe Grief, Buzz Oven, 13, Cavity, or early Melvins, maybe, if you want to, you know, throw them in there. But I always thought that was odd that the first Grief album came out on Century Media, but they didn't, they never released any more Grief albums, and they released a few more I Hate God albums. So that was just weird. Like, they're, I don't know, man. The whole Century Media thing with I Hate God ever being on that label is very bizarre to me. I, don't, I just don't get it. Yeah. Their their relationship with uh with Century Media, you know, so they they got them on like this European tour, you know, and they were apparently Century Media was really good to those guys in the very beginning, you know, they were like renting them vans, putting them up in uh, like hotels in L.A. and doing all this like photo shoots and dinners, mm-hmm. and they bought them gear, right. all that kind of stuff, you know. But then eventually, um, they started realizing that uh they were they weren't metal enough you know, and they weren't really punk. So they kind of fell into that, that weird crack that, you know, a lot of bands that we love fall into where it's like, it's not punk, it's not metal, it's not this, it's not that. So, you know, right. it's a marginal thing. We don't really know how to market it. So, you know, and then also the band, whenever they would go into the offices, they would steal records and stuff like that and sell it on the road. And um, <laughs> <Good>. so... <laughs> You know, in, in Mike's uh, own words, they began to realize that we were greedy brats and drunken thieves, and then things started falling <laughs> apart, and they uh, parted ways with Century Media in 1999 or somewhere in that in that era. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think Con- uh, Confederacy of Ruined Lives, I think, was the final yeah. uh, studio album anyway. There might have been a collection or something that came out after that, but um, I think that was the final studio album. And then, uh, yeah, onto Housecore, yeah, which put out the the last one, which you know, repress the vinyl, please, so people can buy it. Well, uh, this might shed light yeah. onto some of that too. Is so apparently they own they own their music uh, post two thousand thirteen. So all that stuff is like licensing, you know. So it's like, right. like once again, I'm not going to pretend to understand all the machinations of uh, Housecore and how they sign you know bands, but. You know, it might have just, that might have been like uh, a one-off thing where they were like, all right, we're going to do this for this amount. You know, we're going to press these amount of records and, and that, and then we're just going to do our thing and just keep the rights and control everything. And, you know, that's that that could very well be the, the, the reason why some of that stuff is out of print, but uh, I don't have any inside information on that. Well, I know Emetic Records, um, who I think used to sell all the I Hate God merch and all that stuff, uh, they've repressed the early records on vinyl a few times through the years. Yes. I mean, so, you know, it's not like it came out once and it's never been out, but, like, I feel like all those records have kind of been out of print for a while now. You know, it's just it's just a shame to me, man. Like, you know, you can still go buy all the Black Flag records and all the Minor Threat records and all that. <laughs> you know, to me, they're such an important band this record should be readily available yeah i know man it's it's a you know i have a feeling that stuff's gonna come out again man you know what i mean because it's like like i was saying that they're in this actually some more inside information there's a brand new record that's in the works right now 
know, you guys all heard it here first. Yeah. When I spoke with Mike, he was, he talked about it a little bit and, uh, there's, he's going to go cut vocals at some point over the next few months uh, up in uh, Chicago, I believe with, uh, our, uh, our friend Sanford Parker and, um, who's a fine recording engineer. And I think he's, uh, the right guy to capture a more modern sound of the band, in my opinion, you know, so Sanford, good, good guy. Well, if that record ends up coming out in 2020 this year, which it probably won't, I would assume that it's already going to be my record of the year when I'm hearing it. No. <laughs> yeah. So, nah, it's, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure know, I'm going to love it. I mean, you know, it's, I can't wait. Yeah. Another funny thing about the band too, is like, they um at the time when they got signed to century media no, no one in the band considered it to be like their main thing it was i hate god it was like a side band for all those guys yeah well uh brian Patton. uh we were talking before about you know mystic crew clear light and you know that was uh, jimmy and joey's kind of one of their side bands and I was saying how incredible, like, musically those guys were as players. Brian Patton is another one. I mean, you know, Soylent Green, I believe, was his primary band, right, back then, um, who are an incredible band. I don't want to call them a death metal band. Cause they're, they're, to me, they're more than a death metal band. Um, there's all kinds of stuff in there. But uh, Brian is just an incredible player as well, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the first time I saw Soylent Green was with I Hate God. And uh, actually, I, I, I mean, I'm, I don't know if this is uh, accurate or not, but I remember that show being Sonic Green, Crowbar, and I Hate God. And I, I don't know if that's actually... I know that I saw I Hate God and Crowbar together at the Middle East downstairs. And I know that I saw Sonic Green and I Hate God together at the Middle East downstairs. But whether or not... All three of those bands played together that night is uh, a mis- It's still, it's not, I'm not certain about that, but I think that that can, might have been the tour. I can clarify that for you, 100%. Whoa. It was those, those three bands played together. And at the time, it was my short stint playing second guitar at Isis. We opened that show. Oh, see? So now, yeah, I didn't, I didn't totally make that up. That's cool. Yeah. And I Hate God stayed with us that night back at the, the old Hydrahead house. Um, and there was all kinds of shenanigans happening after the show that I'm not going to, you know, we'll keep, the, keep that between me and them. <laughs> <laughs> but trust me, it fit right into the I Hate God lore yeah. <laughs> of, the, of the botchery. <laughs> um, and our, uh, not our mutual friend, your friend who you had on uh, the show a month or two ago, Sammy Duway. Duet. Mm-hmm. He was uh, he was playing in Crowbar then. Yeah, that was his stint in Crowbar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I remember um, talking to, uh, yeah. to to Kurt Winstein about Sammy because like we when we were we were on tour with uh, Crowbar and before like we went from like the uh, the Goat Whore thirteen forty nine tour right on to the Crowbar tour and uh, you know it was like. I was talking to him about being on the road with those guys, and he he told me that Sammy was a good boy. <laughs> I was like, well, okay, I'm going to say this right without divulging any information that the show I was talking about that we were just talking about, Sammy may not have been such a good boy that night. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. 
<laughs> but uh but yeah, Soylent Green oh. though, that's that's like I, I I had barely heard about them. And then we went to go I went to that show and I was like, they blew my fucking mind, man. It was like on how completely insane the guitar playing and the drumming was. And then you oh, get yeah. Ben Falgust. And that was the first time I'd ever seen that dude on stage. And I was like, like, this guy is like one of the greatest front men I've ever seen in my life, man. And, oh, and, he, and he is same, to this day yeah. still, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah that's the first time I seen Soylent Green that night, too. And I was just fucking blown away, man. Like, what an incredible. There's, there's a band that just doesn't get their due. I mean, you know, I know they haven't done a lot in years or whatever, but uh, even when they were, you know, together putting out records every couple of years, I felt like they they were never they never got their due, man. That band was amazing. Yeah, for sure. No, totally, man. You know, you know, it's funny. Um, there's that band, uh, Phil and Philip H. Anselmo and the Illegals. You know, you might be familiar right. with them. They, I feel yeah. like they sound. I feel like they sound like Solid Green. I can hear a little bit of that. Yeah, I checked out that record. I can I can hear a little bit of that for sure. Yeah, it's I, I like it. I think I we, we did a we played a, a festival out in Michigan with them and um they did a couple of Pantera cover you know, covers, but you know, I mean, it's right, not right. it's I, I say cover, but you know, Phil wrote the lyrics, but uh but I was I enjoyed their set, man, and I was like, damn, this is like reminds me of something. And I was like, Yeah, this reminds me of Soil and Green a little bit. There's like this sort of chaotic i mean so yeah soylent would be fast and slow and blues like all at the same time right. you know what i mean it's like they're fast and slow at the same time and then they have these bluesy like breakdown parts and then you know ben's ben's vocals were like these like you know blood curdling shrieks and then these like guttural death metal vocals it was like a real journey yeah. you know listening to that band and and yeah I think that the uh, the illegals have a similar vibe to that. Yeah, it's a good call, man. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can hear that for sure, man. Uh, anyone out there who hasn't checked out Soil and Green should, you know, do so. Do yourself a favor, man. Yeah. That uh, Soil and Green shit is great. I I don't know if that band ever officially broke up or if they're just on like a long hiatus. But I, I would love for them to come back with a with a record or something. You know, it'd be great. You see, this is like, it's funny because I was thinking, like, man, we're talking about I Hate God, and now we're talking about all these other bands, but I'm like, you have to, in a way. All those bands from Louisiana, those New Orleans bands, if you talk about one of those bands, you kind of have to talk about all of them because they're just so, like, tightly connected in so many ways, you know? Well, a good uh, thing, you know, to check out for people, uh, on YouTube, uh, Noisy did a really cool documentary series just called NOLA, N-O-L-A, New Orleans, Louisiana. And it's about that that scene and all those guys. And I think it's a five, six-part thing. And it gets pretty in-depth and there's great interviews with, with Jimmy and Mike Williams and Sammy and Pepper Keenan and, you know, Kurt Winstein. Go right down the line. But episode two is like pretty much heavy on the history of I Hate God. Um, so that's on YouTube for free if people want to check that out. And um, really, really cool and ties in real well to what we're talking about, too, for sure. Uh, and all the other bands you're talking about, one band we didn't mention is Outlaw Order, which is basically I Hate God Without Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, it's um, 
like a, a more if you t- if you added discharge to the mix yeah. of what we used uh, to describe I hate God, you know, flag, Sabbath, and discharge and flipper. That's right. that's what um, Outlaw Order would sound like if you if you forced me to come up with other bands that would be like a aggregate of that. That's what you would you would get. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. You know, with Mike handling all the vocals, you can't help but, you know, it, it definitely has a, a very huge I Hate God feel, you know. His vocals are unmistakable, you know. Yeah, absolutely, man. As uh, Phil Anselmo, <laughs> Phil Anselmo in that, uh, in that noisy documentary that says his voice sounds like he's singing with a box cutter in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I thought was fucking great and then and then he still also said something about a quote that Mike had when someone asked him about his vocal styles <laughs> it was a, a curdled milk replica of a voice <laughs> yeah man he knows how to express himself for sure that guy you know yeah for sure man for sure that's take is needed for pain by I hate God and uh, thanks for listening and uh, everyone be well and uh, see, I'll talk to you guys next week. That's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, an official Gimme Metal podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. This show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Metal, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.